All right. Well, if you were to uh, engage in the project of reading through the Bible kind of in survey format, I don't know if you've done the read through the Bible in a year thing. Uh, it's a great exercise. High recommend. I think I've done it three or four times in my, in my 41 years. That's right. 41 years. Uh, I think I've done it a few times. And, and if you do that, you start to see certain themes emerge that uh, the gospel wants to speak into. And it helps us understand things. And some of those themes you might be really familiar with, uh, love or money or forgiveness or faith or hope, like those are important themes that emerge throughout. But then there are also these themes of like the gospel applied, the gospel applied to relationships, husband, wife, son, daughter, uh, friend, those types of things. Uh, the gospel applied to, and what we're gonna be looking at today is how we speak our words, how we communicate. The Bible is deeply concerned, deeply concerned with the things that, that are communicated out of the people that follow God. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. So I want to start up things off and make it even a little bit personal right off the bat. Has anyone ever said something to you that blessed you or encouraged you? Like you heard the words that were said and as they were being spoken, they stirred you internally. Those words represented something significant and powerful, and it actually gave you courage for the day or for the, the thing that you were facing. And those words that were spoken were a, a blessing to you or a gift to you. Has that ever happened to you? It's ha Honestly, it's happened to me more times than I can count, but, but I want you to think of that moment when somebody spoke grace over you and it infused infuse the presence of God in you, just in that sense of like, okay, I know God is with me and I can do this. Have you ever had that happen? I want you to have that in your mind. Most of us have experienced the, the power of words and what they can do to bless and to build up. Now let's think of the other side. Has anyone ever said something to you that felt like a punch in the stomach? The words cut deeply and they affected you. And maybe they even still do. I don't know if you have this. I do where words haunt you years later. Somebody's phrase or sentence or something that they said, it might've even been offhanded to them. Maybe it was malicious and intentional, but it couldn't, it could have been just something offhanded, but it, it sticks with you and it just like cycles back into your mind in the most random moments. But those words, they, they, they sort of like haunt us or affect us deeply. Has that ever happened to you? guessing that most of us have those experiences, words that have blessed and words that have torn us down. The reality is that words are immensely powerful. And we use them. We use them to bless and we use them to inflict pain. And one of the objectives that God has for his people is that we would grow in self-control and that the words that come out of our mouths would be used to bless and build up the world around us. We're going to look at the Proverbs today and actually a lot of other scriptures to try and understand what God has to say about our words. First, we're going to look at words having the power to build up, to bring life, to establish wisdom, to ultimately make things better. So if you have your Bibles, get them ready. We're going to go to Proverbs 10 first, Proverbs chapter 10. Let's look at verse 11. It says this, it says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. All right, skip down to verse 20. It says, The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. 
The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. If you skip over to chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Okay, so Proverbs wants to make sure that we know that the words that we speak have the opportunity to build up or tear down. We've seen that. And it goes so far as to call the mouth, look at the, the phrases, a fountain of life, choice silver, and food for many. With the words that you choose, you have the opportunity to be that source of life, something deeply valuable, something of, of great sustenance to the people around you. That's what the words that you use can do. When you think about God and his words, even Jesus being called the word, right? John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You start to understand that God's desire is to communicate his power, his truth, his love and his mercy and his desire is for us to then speak that same grace. That same gospel, the purity of Yahweh, it is in and of itself an entity. God is love, that's true. But then there's the communication of that love. There's the communication of that forgiveness, the communication of that mercy, that God wants to speak things into existence. He doesn't just want to be and hope that we figure it out. He actually wants to build up through how he communicates with us and then... He wants us to have that same posture. We are in a world that desperately needs courage and mercy and hope and grace. There are plenty of people tearing other people down. There is no shortage of that at all right now. The world does not need more of that. I can guarantee you that the world does not need more of that. The world needs a fountain of life. This is one of those weird moments, speaking into a room not full of all that many people, but I want the amens and the cheers and the yeses to that. The world needs a fountain of life. And that's what the Proverbs say about the, the mouth of the righteous, that it is a fountain of life. This world needs sustenance. It needs to be, to be fed truth and goodness and mercy and grace. This world needs things of value. Choice silver, that's such a, a, a potent picture. And this world needs something of deep, inherent value that it can hold on to. So we need words that can build up. So let's talk for just a minute about what kind of words build up. Uh, a couple of things from Scripture, and I know these are just big words, but we'll get, we'll get a little bit more specific. Words of wisdom build up. It's actually speaking the wisdom of God to another person. It helps their collective life start to take shape, start to choose wisely, to live wisely. When we speak the wisdom of God, it actually helps somebody move forward towards Yahweh, towards righteousness, towards goodness. Words of courage. We need to, that's what encouragement is. It was Trisha Hinkle years ago. She talked about this idea of encouragement, not just being something like nice, but words that actually give courage to accomplish the thing that's in front of you. Such a huge and important reality. And our words can give courage to people. Words of truth build up. 
The Bible talks about speaking the truth in love and being able to actually like bring gospel reality into circumstances and situations to actually speak truth into a situation as a person of love. That's something that that needs to be done, needs to be spoken. Words of grace and forgiveness. How many of you have experienced this where maybe forgiveness has happened in your heart, but you never really communicated it? You know, like it, it's something where you're like, okay, I, I forgive that person, but there's never that moment where you speak forgiveness. It's like until those things are communicated, until grace and forgiveness are communicated, there's sort of a gap in experience. But that's part of how we actually bring reconciliation is when we verbalize or communicate the, the activity of our hearts. So we speak grace and we speak forgiveness. Words of blessing, right? Bless those who persecute you. That's not just think nice things about them. It's actually speak blessing, speak grace over people. Words of thanksgiving build up. Uh, Parents, you ever felt like you're in a thankless job, just kind of grinding it out, raising kids? How crazy is it when they speak words of thanksgiving to you and they actually acknowledge something that you've done? It just like, it fills your soul. I think about that in all the places where people do things to encourage or, or help you to actually speak thanksgiving. It's part of the interchange of service and help and, and love being given and thanksgiving in return. And that's part of the, the unity of how we can encourage this life together. Thank you, Siri. All right, words of kindness. There are some times that we simply need to actually speak the kindness of God to other people. They, don't, they didn't do anything to deserve the words. They, they didn't earn them. But in our generosity of spirit, in, in the fact that God has shown us kindness, we just choose to show kindness with our words. And finally, words of honor, where we actually like, we honor people. We elevate them as more important than ourselves, even with the way that we communicate. It's one thing to just think these things. It's another thing to speak them and to communicate them. I would love to have gone through each one of those and given you a scripture for every single one, but let me just, I'm gonna take you to five different places. I wanna show you moments where words impacted a situation dramatically. Hey, there's one, uh, Moses has passed on and he's given his leadership to, to Joshua and Joshua has this job to do where he's gonna go to the promised land and kind of lead Israel into this. And God speaks to Joshua in Joshua 1.9 and he says this, He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Can you imagine being tasked with a responsibility and having God speak that courage over you? I am with you. It's not just that God objectively, factually was with Joshua. It's that he spoke it. And he gave Joshua courage by, by saying those words. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Luke 142, uh, Mary, teenage, pregnant, <laughs> goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Can you, just, I mean, imagine the scene. Uh, somehow you're impregnated by the Holy Spirit and uh, your betrothed, soon-to-be husband decides to stay with you. There's so much confusion and fear. She goes to be with her cousin and her cousin Elizabeth, filled by the Holy Spirit, speaks this over her. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That's speaking blessing. 
for Elizabeth to encourage her cousin to love her and minister to her and just speak those words over her. It gives Mary courage. And then you see the song. I'm not going to go into the whole song. Mary's song that comes out of her after having those words spoken over her. It's part of how we build up and encourage and bless. Matthew 9, 22. A woman that has been outcast, has been bleeding for years and, and considered unclean by society. She, she grabs Jesus' cloak and is healed from that. And Jesus asks, who, who touched me? He felt the power go out of him. And this woman comes forward and she's ashamed, but she's healed. This, again, emotional situation. And Jesus speaks these words to her. He says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Just take that whole scene and take the words out of it. The woman touches Jesus' cloak and she's healed and she goes away. It's a beautiful scene of the power of God, even in the hidden places that he would show her that kind of love and mercy. But then Jesus speaks and it's this, this sense of blessing that just falls on this woman. Take heart, daughter. Just with his words, he, he brings her in. Your faith has made you well. Didn't expect all the tears. I think I got a little emotional. <laughs> Ryan's cheering me on there. Matthew 16, 18. Um, Jesus is moving towards the cross. Uh, the task for the disciples is increasing in their uh, responsibilities and uh uh, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus responds to that confession and he says, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That you see as you go through the book of Acts and into Peter's life, first and second Peter, you see the, the work that Jesus had for Peter to do and those words establish him. They provide a, a foundation of identity yeah, on the rock of your confession that I am the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. This will have victory. It's a huge statement. For Samuel 16, 7, Samuel the prophet is tasked with finding Israel's next king. He goes to Jesse's house and sees all these uh, you know, young men. They're ready to take on the kingdom and they're strong and they're fit. And the Lord has told Samuel, uh, it's none of them. There's still one more. But he says this. He says, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You just hear the wisdom of God being communicated to Samuel in this deeply prophetic moment of establishing David as the next king of Israel. Guys, our words have the power to build up. Can you see that? That is our stewardship. That's what God is asking of us is to use the mouths that he's given us to bless, not to curse, to bless. Now let's talk about the power that words have to tear down or to crush. Proverbs is built on these contrasting concepts. Like go back up to uh, those verses that I read. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, 
The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. It's sort of how the the Proverbs are built is on this, this contrasting kind of format where there's this wisdom, but then there's also the, the counter idea. It's a pivot word, and it, it talks about the devastation of when we don't walk in the way of Jesus, when we don't walk in the way of wisdom, what happens? I know I mentioned a couple weeks ago that James is sort of the, uh, the New Testament wisdom literature, and many people even view it as like kind of commentary on Proverbs. But I want you to go to James 3. We're going to look at verses 2 through 12. James talks about the power of the tongue, and he uses that metaphorically. And I do want to say this before we get into this. Part of our communication reality is that it's not just our mouths that speak, uh, but it's actually our fingers that type. And I want you, as you're hearing James 3, to consider our communication protocols as, as humanity right now, the different ways that we communicate. Because this isn't just about the words that might slip out of our mouth in a one-on-one conversation. This is talking about how you as a person project what's, what's in you projects out of you. Whether that's into a computer, whether that's in a conversation, the format can vary. But how that stuff gets communicated, that's what James is talking about. So starting in verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest! is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by a hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening? both fresh and salt water. Can fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James lays out the incredible, dangerous power of our words. When we use them, I should say when we abuse words, we have the power to destroy. James goes so far as to say that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And we're in a very strange season in human history as it relates to to words. As we think about it, I mean, there's been book after book, study after study about uh, just the idea of how putting the screen between us and another human being and, and, and doing things on a keyboard instead of speaking them has taken our language to a whole different level in terms of its malice, uh, its deception, uh, how, we, how we destroy and deceive people simply by taking away the face-to-face, person-to-person conversational elements. We've grown incredibly 
undisciplined with our words. And in doing that, I'll just give you a quick moment to pause and reflect on the world as we know it. The fire is blazing. It's out of control. Words are being lobbed around carelessly, recklessly, maliciously, and it's devastating our world. James speaks the wisdom of God and says, yeah, we do have to bridle our tongue and we have to bridle our, let's just call it our our hands, our keyboards. We have to be able as followers of Jesus to figure out how to have self-control not only so that we're not contributing to the fire, right? Think of, uh, we've had enough experience with brush fires and forest fires around here. You think of the, the fire crews, the hand crews that go out and they, and they dig channels. They, they create like dirt walls between uh, the forest line and the forest line so that there's maybe a gap, something to stop the fire from moving forward. We don't just wanna to not throw gasoline on the fire. We actually have to be proactive about creating pathways for that fire to die down, for peace to enter in. As part of our duty as believers is to actually bring the the word of God, the logos of God, Jesus into the landscape because it will actually put out many of the fires that are being started. We We can be people of peace in a highly contentious time when we approach our words in a certain way. Now that's talking about the screen. There are elements, uh, many of us have spoken harsh words to our kids, to our spouses, to our parents, to our friends or our roommates. Proverbs 11.9 says, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor but by knowledge, the, the righteous are delivered. This idea of like, hey, we, we can actually, you could end a relationship with words. You could, you could shut somebody down with words. You could cause somebody that's trying to find their way into life and wholeness, you could, you could cause them to shrink back into, uh, into hiding. These are things that can be done with our words. And a massive part of our role as followers of Jesus is actually learning how to have self-control. We'll get to that in just a minute. That'll be sort of our application. But kind of before we move on and, and how words can destroy, I actually want to talk a little bit about the reality of words. The, the Bible has this common theme that words, what comes out of us, reveals the condition of the heart. It actually reveals what's going on inside of us. So what, what we speak, what we communicate is an indication of what's going on inside of us. And sometimes we like to separate it. We like to think that we can separate it. I'm a righteous person, but I, I, I maybe speak maliciously or I speak deceptively. And, and the Bible kind of ties those things back together. And so let's talk through this a little bit. Go to Proverbs 13. We're going to look at verses 2 through 6. It says this, From the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, But the desire, when you see words like desire, it's dealing with the soul, it's dealing with the inner person. But the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood. 
Again, that's an internal thing. But the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. It's an intimate connection between the words that are spoken and the condition of the heart. Now, in Proverbs, as you go through it, the condition of the heart is often referenced by a person's title, the scoffer, the righteous, the sluggard. You'll see it. There's, uh, we did kind of a count when we were doing our, our study on Proverbs, and I think it was over 25 different titles applied to people as you go through the book of Proverbs. And even choosing, rather than saying a person who scoffs or a person who is righteous, Proverbs identifies a person and categorizes a person by their tendencies. Now, you kind of learn as you read through Proverbs that Proverbs never assumes a person to be fully righteous or fully a sluggard. It kind of categorizes or even labels people by their tendencies. Cumulative thoughts and actions and instincts kind of put them into a category. And for many of us, we look at that and say, that's not fair. Like, how can you label somebody based on their cumulative thoughts, actions, and instincts? Why is it that, that this book inspired by the Holy Spirit full of observations about humanity by the wisest person who has ever lived, why does it feel free to categorize and label somebody based on their cumulative behavior and thought patterns and actions? It's, it's kind of a crazy thing, but I want you to hear what Jesus has to say about this. This is Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. It says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So Jesus, again, bringing the internal and the external into intimate connection. And you can kind of start to, to, I don't know if you're getting uncomfortable and maybe you're just, I don't know, having a little theological moment of trying to like stretch out a bit and just say, okay, I don't quite get what you're saying. Are you saying I'm a bad person or are you saying I'm a good person? Well, I want you to walk through this just, just so you know that the externals are connected to the internals by Proverbs, by Jesus, by James. The things that are produced come from somewhere. Now let's talk about where those things come from. This is what Paul has to say about it in Galatians 5. He says this. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So I want you to hear this. Paul's understanding is that the flesh... You, in all of your sinful wickedness, desire certain things. And when you come to faith in Jesus, you are given the Spirit of God. This is why Jesus uh, said, why do you call me good? He talks about it that way. Or, or uh, Romans says, there's none righteous, not even one. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's this sense as a, as a person, I realize Jesus said that. He was making a point. He doesn't fall into that same category. But as a person, there's nothing good in us. We are wicked. I don't know if you're objecting to that, saying, actually, no, I'm, I'm pretty good. The Bible's perspective of the human condition is that we are flawed and fallen, that we are broken and in need of redemption. 
And as Paul teaches about the Spirit, he's saying that what Jesus did on the cross, that's, that's forgiveness, but then his Spirit is placed in us to take the, the redemption that is full. Like right now, you are called righteous. If you were to die, if you're a follower of Jesus, you would go before the living God and he would welcome you into the kingdom of heaven. Like that's, that's the nature of theology. You are declared righteous, but also you are being made righteous. That's that idea of sanctification, being made holy by the Spirit of God, transforming you, Romans 12, transforming you by the renewal of your mind, doing the good, deep work to make you more like Jesus. That's what the Spirit is doing. But there's a battle, a battle that rages all the time. The flesh and what it wants to do is contrary to the Spirit and what it wants to do. In your flesh, there's a desire to deceive, to destroy, to tear down, to rumor, to gossip, to slander, to speak words that would crush somebody. And we need the Spirit of God in us if we have any hope of stemming the flow of that brokenness, the wickedness that would come out of us. And the Spirit of God transforms our words. Actually, you go down a little bit. I didn't write it down, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and self-control, and gentleness. These, these elements of the Spirit, as the Spirit's in us, it produces a different person. You're a new creation, and the Spirit of God is making all things new in you. So it's actually redeeming and transforming your ability to communicate. The crazy reality for us as believers is that Jesus has given us a new heart, but he's continuing to refine our flesh, our bodies. The inner person, the character, starts to then influence the outer person, the manifestations, the, the stuff that comes out of us. Being a follower of Jesus is not about getting it right all the time, but it's about acknowledging the moments where our flesh has won and repenting of those things. That's part of the transformation and redemption process is that when we speak maliciously, we repent and we turn, we confess that sin. That's the power of the gospel is that I sin and grace is applied to that and Jesus then helps us to, to not do that sin. Again, it's part of how we grow as people. And so you think about the words that you've spoken. Think about the things that you've said or the things that you've typed and maybe even in this moment, you're feeling guilty, like, okay, I've torn down, I haven't built up. Part of the power of the gospel is confessing and repenting of those things and the people, to the people that you've torn down, and then actually using your words to, to build up in, that, in the place of your tearing down words. You can do that because you have Jesus. He's won for us the opportunity for us to be righteous people through the power of the, of the Spirit but we need the Spirit of God teaching us how to be that kind of righteous. Proverbs 18.20 says this. It says, From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. My hope for us as followers of Jesus is that we actually look back on the words that have come out of us and we see blessing and honor and forgiveness and grace and kindness. 
And we actually look back on those things and we're satisfied by the things that we've said. At the end of the day, do you want to look back on the things that you've said and just feel the weight of having crushed somebody? Or do you want to look back on on the day and actually see the moments where you spoke the grace of God over somebody? That's what we're working towards when it comes to our mouth. That's what we're seeking after as followers of Jesus is being a blessing with the things that we speak. This is why we talk so often about repentance. I mean, you look at James and he's saying, if anybody's got it perfect, he's a perfect man. If anybody's got his mouth under control, he is a perfect human being. She is a perfect woman. You mess up and I mess up. My wife can testify, I am not perfect with my words. Our staff team can testify, I'm not perfect with our words. My friends can testify, I'm not perfect with my words. I, I require a system where I can repent and receive forgiveness and grow from how I use my words or I would just be devastation after devastation after devastation. And I know the same is true for you as well. So my hope, my encouragement, my challenge is to build into your life this practice, this way of seeking righteousness with the way that you speak. But when you don't, when you deceive, when you tear down, when you inflict harm and pain, repent, confess of those things and repent. Experience the grace of God to grow. It's one of the most powerful things that we can do as believers is experience God's grace through repentance. Proverbs 4, 20 through 22 says this. It says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Listen to this. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. This is part of how God wants you to experience the abundance of life. You can be a person that builds up and honors and encourages. And in doing that, in finding the way of Jesus, the wisdom of God, you find life and healing for your flesh and you give that to those around you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to come to you and to, uh, to see your word, to see what it has to say to us about how we speak about the things that come out of us, Lord. And I I pray that we would be, as a people, diligent, diligent to guard the things that come out of our mouths and to choose grace and righteousness and peace and kindness and reconciliation. There's word after word after word in your scriptures of what we can do to build up. Would we be those that are, are people that build up and take our communities to places of, of courage, faith, and hope because of how we speak, how we communicate. Lord, our world needs you desperately. We do pray just over our, our community and over the world around us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that there would be such a, an outpouring of your spirit, that people would come to faith in you and that, that this redeeming process would would start to change the landscape of our nation and our world. Lord, would you start with us? Start with those of us that have already said, here I am, I'm yours. Lord, do your work in me. 
We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.